Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Endopod. My name is Hepsi Xavier. I'm very excited to announce and share this new podcast set up by the Aberdeen University Endocrinology Society. Endopod is going to be a new and exciting way of exploring the world of endocrinology and we have some great stuff planned including hot topics, debates and some revision material too, you'll be glad to know. We made this simplified version for our listeners without a medical or science background who are interested in learning more about the wonderful world of medicine. Without further ado, let's dive right into our first topic, straight from the press. We're going to be discussing the one and only COVID-19 and how it affects people with diabetes as part of our Covendo series. We'll cover a little bit about coronavirus and the basis of diabetes before moving on to talk about how coronavirus and diabetes fit together. I'm sure you're aware of the pandemic going on at the moment. COVID-19 is the disease brought about by the new coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, which belongs to a group of other coronaviruses, which have been around for a very long time. The exact origin of the coronavirus is unknown, but it is thought that the virus passed from bats to humans. The incubation period, which is the time between exposure to and the appearance of symptoms, is thought to be up to two weeks. Coronavirus spreads mostly through close contact or droplets. The most up-to-date R number is just under 1. The R number, or reproduction number, tells you the average number of people who will contract a disease from one person with said disease. In other words, it is a good indicator of how contagious a disease is. An R number higher than 1 means that cases increase exponentially. Nonetheless, it is still important to social distance and wash our hands. I am sure you have seen this all over the news, but typical symptoms of COVID-19 include a new continuous cough and or fever, shortness of breath, fatigue, muscle aches, sore throat, runny nose and a new loss of taste or smell. Less common symptoms include diarrhoea, nausea and vomiting, etc. Onset of these symptoms means you should self-isolate for 7 days and people in your household should self-isolate for 14 days. About 80% of people who get COVID-19 recover well, with no complications. However, the remaining 20% progress to shortness of breath and acute respiratory distress syndrome, which is the buildup of fluid in the tiny air sacs in your lungs called alveoli, so your lungs can't fill with enough air and less oxygen reaches your bloodstream. Also, some get severe pneumonia and end up getting hospitalised. The people who are at most risk of being hospitalised are those with a weaker immune system or people with an underlying condition, one of them being diabetes. So, let's talk about what diabetes actually is. Diabetes mellitus is a group of conditions where the body cannot control its own glucose, essentially sugar, levels. It is one of the commonest and most prevalent conditions in the world. It is heavily associated with complications such as heart attacks, strokes, vision problems and more. There are two types of diabetes, type 1 and type 2. Before we talk about what they are, let's talk about how blood glucose levels are normally controlled. When there is too much glucose, called hyperglycemia, for example after you've eaten a meal, the hormone insulin is released by the pancreas. Insulin's job is to bring your blood glucose levels back down to normal. It does this by storing glucose in the liver and in muscle and fat tissue. When there is too little glucose, called hypoglycemia, for example when you are exercising, the hormone glucagon is released by the pancreas. Glucagon does the opposite of insulin, 
it releases all that stored glucose to be used up by the cells in your body and brings blood glucose levels back up to normal. In type 1 diabetes, your body starts attacking its own pancreas. This is called autoimmunity, when the body fails to recognise itself and thinks that its own cells are pathogens. There are a lot of complex underlying processes behind this, but genes are thought to be important. It is thought that some individuals have a mutated or damaged gene, which is normally responsible for recognising the body's own cells. And this causes the body to attack its own pancreas. Now, because the pancreas is damaged, it doesn't produce enough insulin. And as we discussed before, insulin makes sure that blood glucose levels don't go too high. If we don't have insulin, it means glucose levels can shoot up to dangerous levels, causing eye or kidney disease and even coma in severe cases. Fortunately, we can control blood glucose levels by giving patients insulin via injections or pumps. It is important that they carefully monitor their glucose levels throughout the day. They need to plan everything from meals to exercise routines to avoid too little or too much blood glucose at any given time. There are many different insulin regimes and each is specifically tailored to an individual and their lifestyle. In type 2 diabetes, the main issue is that insulin basically becomes ineffective. Your pancreas does produce it to some extent, but because of factors such as obesity, there is insulin resistance. Excess body fat decreases insulin sensitivity on muscle and fat tissues, which take up glucose under normal circumstances. So the pancreas thinks, hey, there's still too much glucose in the blood and starts churning out even more insulin. And the body does adapt and survive this way for a while by producing a lot of insulin to compensate for this insulin resistance. However, this is where genetics come in. There are several genes that control whether an individual can produce lots of insulin or not. If these genes are abnormal, and an individual has many copies of these abnormal genes, they simply cannot produce lots of insulin to try and compensate for the high blood glucose levels. So, to summarise, because of extra body fat, these individuals have insulin resistance, and on top of that, they have some abnormal genes which don't allow them to make enough insulin, and therefore they cannot control their blood glucose levels. Patients with type 2 diabetes need to make lifestyle modifications to lose excess body fat, and usually need some medications to help them control their sugar levels. The main aim of treatment is to stabilise their glucose control and prevent complications such as heart attacks, eye and kidney disease. If you want a more visual explanation of diabetes, check out the Aberdeen University Endocrinology Society Instagram page for our Endotube video on it. Now that we have talked about coronavirus and diabetes individually, let's look at how they fit together. We can start with some good old statistics. One in four people who have died in hospital in England from coronavirus also had diabetes. This understandably caused some shock and fear in the diabetic community. But it's important to know that the overall risk is still very low and will continue to decline as coronavirus cases decline. The majority of people who do get COVID-19, whether they have diabetes or not, will have mild symptoms and won't require hospitalisation. It's also important to note that the factor most strongly related to risk of death from coronavirus is older age. Very few people with diabetes under the age of 40 have died from coronavirus. Data shows that significantly more people with type 2 diabetes die from coronavirus than those with type 1. Most people in the UK have type 2 diabetes, which in itself is associated with many comorbidities, which puts them at a higher risk of severe COVID-19 disease. 
However, you should also know that even though there were fewer deaths in type 1 diabetes, the condition itself is linked with a higher risk. People with type 1 diabetes were found to be 3.5 times more likely to die. Now, let's have a look at the molecular side of things and the real nitty-gritty of why people with diabetes may have worse outcomes if they get COVID-19. Diabetes is essentially a long-term inflammatory condition. Inflammation refers to the body fighting off things that harm it, and it includes the action of many types of white blood cells and chemicals called cytokines, which are messenger molecules that cells use to communicate with each other. Along with diabetes comes complications such as high blood pressure, heart disease and nerve damage. But having diabetes doesn't necessarily mean you're more susceptible to contracting coronavirus. We still don't know if it is diabetes itself or its complications that put diabetics at risk of developing more severe COVID-19 disease. One possible theory is that coronavirus infection in those with diabetes possibly triggers higher stress conditions within the body, leading to the release of hormones which lead to an increase in blood sugar levels. One such hormone we already discussed is glucagon. Others include cortisol and adrenaline. This obviously means that people with diabetes find it more difficult to control their blood sugar levels and may find their normal therapy regimes don't quite work for them. So, we now have a diabetic patient who cannot control their blood sugar levels as well as they could before and this has been directly linked to their white blood cells behaving rather strangely. We have many different types of white blood cells in our body, and collectively, their job is to destroy any invading pathogens, such as bacteria. One group of white cells are called phagocytes. Their job is to identify any foreign pathogen in the body and engulf and destroy it. Now, in the context of someone who cannot control their blood sugar levels properly, it seems that these phagocytes don't work as well so there is scope for coronavirus to attack more strongly. Another group of white blood cells are called lymphocytes, which are much more specific to particular pathogens. When someone is exposed to a virus for the first time, these lymphocytes and other white blood cells help fight off the infection. But the special thing about these lymphocytes is that they'll remember that particular virus, so if the body comes into contact with it again, they'll be a lot quicker to act on it and help fight off infection much faster the second time round. Again, in the context of someone who cannot control their blood sugar levels properly, there seems to be an inability for these lymphocytes to replicate. Lower numbers of these cells mean a weaker immune response. This explains why patients presenting to hospital with COVID-19 and diabetes also have a low lymphocyte count, which is called lymphocytopenia, and generally low white blood cell count, called leukopenia. There was also an elevation of pro-inflammatory cytokines, which are types of signaling molecules that are secreted from immune cells like lymphocytes and phagocytes, that promote the inflammatory response which we discussed before. In addition to the notable inflammation, type 2 diabetics seem to have significant coagulation taking place. Coagulation, also known as clotting, is a process by which blood changes from a liquid to a gel, forming a blood clot. Normally, to balance out clotting, a process called fibrinolysis takes place that prevents blood clots from growing and becoming problematic. If a blood clot gets too big, it can clog up vessels supplying organs, meaning they'll receive reduced blood flow and may waste away as they're not receiving enough oxygen or nutrients. In type 2 diabetics who had COVID-19, it appeared that not enough fibrinolysis was taking place. This coagulation fibrinolysis mismatch may be due to the fact that both type 1 and type 2 diabetes are associated with excessive platelet aggregation, 
which are tiny particles in the blood which help your body form clots and stop bleeding. Normally, this is a good thing, but when you have too many of them clumping together, which is what platelet aggregation is, it could lead to the formation of big blood clots, which, as I said before, can block important vessels in the body. I mentioned before that high blood pressure is a complication of diabetes, so let's look at how coronavirus affects that. We know that the functional receptor for the coronavirus is the ACE2 or the angiotensin-converting enzyme 2 receptor. Any virus that comes into your body will try and enter your cells. Cells have proteins called receptors on their surface to which the virus will attach and then enter into the cell via that. They are like binding sites for the virus. The ACE2 receptor is just like that, and it is found in many organs in your body, including the lining of your respiratory tract and the parts of the pancreas which are responsible for producing insulin. So, the coronavirus would attach to ACE2 on these cells, and then enter these cells to cause damage. People who have high blood pressure usually take medicines called ACE inhibitors, also known as angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors. They do exactly what they say. They stop the angiotensin-converting enzyme from doing its job, which is to increase blood pressure. They can also take another type of medicine, called angiotensin receptor blockers, which stop the same enzyme from doing its job, but this time by blocking its binding sites on the cells it normally acts on. Both of these medicines lead to an increase in the levels of this ACE2 receptor, meaning more opportunities for the virus to enter cells in the body. So diabetic patients taking these medications may have poorer outcomes if they get COVID-19. However, at the moment, we cannot say for fact what the effects of long-term intake of ACE inhibitors and angiotensin receptor blockers are on coronavirus entry into cells and viral replication. There are even some studies showing that they may be favourable for acute respiratory distress syndrome, which is a complication of severe COVID disease as we discussed before. So this is a potential double-edged sword, and the important message is that there isn't enough evidence at the moment to stop taking these medications. It is a lot more harmful to stop taking these medicines for people with high blood pressure, as uncontrolled high blood pressure can lead to heart attacks and heart failure. Continuing on the topic of the ACE2 receptor potentially causing issues for diabetic people, a Chinese study found that there is potential evidence for non-diabetic people actually developing diabetes during hospitalisation from COVID-19. They found that non-diabetic patients had damaged pancreases, leading to a sudden onset type 1 diabetes. Further evidence is obviously still needed, but it can be argued that this may contribute to an even worse outcome in people who are already diabetic. Now that we have talked it through, what should diabetic people actually do to decrease their risks of severe COVID-19 disease? Weight and poor diabetic control put diabetics at an increased risk of poor outcomes. This means that it is vital to keep blood sugar levels within the target range. It's imperative that they monitor their blood glucose regularly and plan meals and exercise really well. Older adults with diabetes should follow strict social distancing measures to avoid catching the virus altogether. In terms of obesity, it's becoming apparent that abdominal fat seems to lead to excessive inflammation. At the moment, diabetes isn't even on the list of vulnerable conditions for coronavirus. This is where we need a more government-level initiative to educate the people on weight loss measures and informing diabetic people on any relevant risks and, of course, reassuring them too. And how can I not mention social distancing? 
England has relaxed lockdown measures and Scotland is in phase one of their lockdown plan. This doesn't mean that things can go back to normal. It is so important that people still make an effort to avoid unnecessary trips and visitations. Healthy people especially need to make that extra effort to curb the spread of disease. It is very important to also touch on the difficulties faced by people with diabetes during lockdown, so let's do that. People who have diabetes were told to stay inside in the early stages of lockdown, which in itself posed a problem. They had to rely on family or friends to pick up prescriptions on their behalf. This would obviously prove to be more difficult if a person lived on their own without family or friends to help nearby. Having interviewed a medical student whose father has type 1 diabetes, they said things were very difficult when their mother started displaying symptoms of COVID-19 and the pharmacy refused to deliver all of their father's medications, including insulin, statins and sensors, as the whole household had to self-isolate. Moreover, his work were understanding at first, but his job is one that cannot be carried out remotely, so he had no other option but to go back despite government advice. Another major thing that has really affected people with diabetes was a sudden change and lack of routine, meaning that mistakes have been made with insulin dosages. For example, the father of the medical student we interviewed accidentally injected 18 units of short-acting insulin instead of 8 units at one point. Thankfully, he was fine, but such mistakes are being made by many people and in some cases they may not be as fortunate. They also mentioned that now that things are a little busier again, their father is back to driving, still without a proper routine, which has caused blood sugar fluctuations. Mental health is a big area of concern, especially for people having to deal with diabetes or any chronic condition during lockdown. But we will explore this in a lot more detail in the fourth episode of the Covendo series, so stay tuned for that. So, to help you imagine an actual patient, we have someone who cannot produce insulin or are resistant to it. This means they struggle to control their glucose levels, which in itself poses complications, such as high blood pressure and nerve disease. If we add an infection such as COVID-19 on top of that, this puts extra stress on their body's inflammatory responses, which all go a bit haywire. All of this further adds to their inability to control blood glucose levels. This creates an opportunity for coronavirus to cause a more severe infection and there are various potential drug-to-viral interactions such as ACE inhibitors as we discussed. This puts the patient not only at a higher risk of being hospitalised with coronavirus but also developing diabetes-related complications such as diabetic ketoacidosis. Diabetic ketoacidosis is a common but severe complication of type 1 diabetes. It happens when there are very high levels of sugar in the blood. When this happens, the body starts burning fat to get energy as the glucose isn't actually being taken up by the cells. But fat has to be converted into something called ketone bodies before it can be used as an energy source. In diabetic ketoacidosis, there are high levels of these ketone bodies which can actually make blood more acidic. High acid levels in the blood are very dangerous as it can lead to breathing trouble and even coma in severe cases. But remember, at the end of the day, people with diabetes shouldn't stress themselves out about coronavirus because chances are that you will be fine even if you do catch it. But that isn't to say that you should be lax about it. It is super important to control your diabetes well and do all the other typical things to keep healthy. For example, eat a balanced diet, exercise, get your vitamins and drink plenty of water. And even if you are stressed, that is totally understandable. 
and there are plenty of emotional well-being platforms that can help you through these difficult times, such as Diabetes UK Helpline and the NHS Every Mind Matters website. I hope that you have enjoyed our very first Endopod episode and learned a thing or two about diabetes and coronavirus. Join us next week for an exciting debate and controversies episode. Please do follow us on our Aberdeen University Endocrinology Society Facebook, Twitter and Instagram pages. Please like and share the podcast with all your friends and colleagues. And of course, I always welcome any feedback about our podcasts. If you have any requests for future podcasts, then absolutely let us know. Stay safe and happy. This is Hepsi Xavier signing off. Music